Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath, and I am here today with my best buddy, Judy Setchman. <laughs> She's still in the cold of uh, Pennsylvania, and I'm in the warmth of Hawaii. It's so fun that we're so far away and we can um, uh, talk to each other as if we're having coffee together uh, in the living room. Yeah. It's so amazing, this gift of uh, the internet that we have. Even though it can be a pain and it can be trouble, but it's certainly a wonderful, has been wonderful for us. And we're so grateful we get to do these podcasts and we're grateful that you're listening to it. So today um, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what I would call our addiction to the uh, intellect. And one of the reasons we thought we'd bring this up is because many people struggle trying to figure out how to be happy. They try to figure out how not to have stress. They try to figure out how to get along with people. They try to figure out how to do their life differently. And by and large, people get really stuck when that happens. Like um, they, you know, I've worked with high school seniors that get so stressed out because they can't figure out what they're going to do when they go to college because they have to figure out what they're going to have for a profession at age 17. Um, and because otherwise they won't go to the right school. And if they don't go to the right school, they won't be able to take the classes. And then if they don't have, can't work in that, that career, they'll be unhappy for the rest of their life. <laughs> And it's, it's so cracks me up. Like I remember when I was in my 20s, I would worry about what I was going to do in my retirement, how I would fund my retirement. <laughs> I have to laugh because, of course, I'm a retirement agent. I'm not even retired. So what a waste of time that was. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. So, so there's a way that we've created a world. Um, and not, not all cultures are like this. A lot of cultures are much less intellectually based. But for many of us that have been um, brought up in more of a Western culture, uh, we're very attached to our thinking. And people that aren't of the Western culture also do a lot of thinking, but frequently they're not as um, uh, as attached to it as we can get. I, I don't know. I'm kind of making that up, but it seems that way to me. Yeah. As we work with people, it seems that way. But one of the, the things I often say is, you know, I work in addictions a lot. And, um, you know, there's the 12-step groups. There's Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. And I always thought there should just be one, Thinkers Anonymous. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> because if people see that what they're really looking for, like they're really looking, looking, looking for an answer to find their happiness. So people will come to us and they'll start understand, they'll start getting some grasp, intellectual grasp of the principles. And they start to say things like, well, this isn't doing it for me, or this isn't um, uh, working, or I don't know how to apply this, or when I apply it here, this happens, but not here. And so 
What they're missing, of course, in doing that is that it's not about thinking about what you need to do differently in order to be happy. It's about finding that happiness is before thought. And having a shift and insight is the only way you can do that. You cannot think your way into happiness. The best you can do really is kind of get excited by, by thinking. And so a lot of people kind of get excited, get addicted to being excited, right? They got to keep finding little dramas and things to do. But it's just recognizing that our, we've been trained in a sense or that we live in, a, in the fishbowl of other people who all value the gift of thought and the intellect. Now, mind you, the, gi- the, the gift of the intellect is a wonderful gift. It's a fabulous thing that uh, life has created itself in this way that we can put information together and, and develop things and come up with new ideas. And But we're looking at all times in, in the physical world as well as in the, the psychological world, we're looking for principles from which we can build a better world. And that's, to me, what the principles, the three principles of mind, thought, and consciousness bring is a way to understand how it works, the principles behind the experience of our psyche, the experience of our soul, the experience of life. And when we understand how that's created, then we can start to um, stop doing the things that we do that make us suffer. So it's, it, it's our training that makes us really um, search for answers or search for people to give us answers. Like, like frequently we'll um, discover that, you know, people will go from, from idea to idea. Like I have a client that calls me every uh, once in a while, like she would come in to work with me for like a while. And then she goes and studies with, does some other kind of therapy because she wanted to talk about the past, blah, blah, blah. But she always comes back, right? She, well, it seems to me, Chris, when I talk to you, you make things so simple and, and, and you just articulate it in a way that seems so obvious to me. And now she, she doesn't see that if she saw what I would see, she'd see the same thing, right? It's not like I'm this genius that makes her life simpler. It's just that I understand how it works, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of what makes us addicted is that we start to use our thinking in a way that creates a good feeling for us. We do something well, we create something, or somebody tells us we're really good at something. And then um, all of a sudden we get a good feeling from that. So then we start looking to do that more to get more good feelings. But the good feeling we got didn't really come from our intellect figuring something out. It came from kind of being in a maze that it happened. Yeah. That's really, that's a beautiful thought too, because, you know, to me, it's kind of the intellect is the, well, I think I really think of the intellect as the encyclopedia of our life. You know, it's got uh, all everything that we've ever taken the trouble to think about for a moment longer, so that it got stored away. And so it's uh, it's a memory bank, and it's like therefore it, it is uh, it's like a computer. The intellect is like our own personal computer, which has all the data that we've ever thought we might need again. But the problem is um, the same with the intellect as it would be if you were trying to, say, figure out something 
new and you're looking at your computer and you look through all your files and you can't find anything and you think, well, gosh, it's just not here. Well, that's not where it would be because if it's new, you haven't put it away yet. So the only place to look for anything new is beyond, before the intellect, beyond the intellect. And that's where wisdom comes in. And to me, as Chris said, the intellect is a fantastic gift because we remember things that we want to remember. And, uh, you know, we learn a profession. We can learn a lot of very complicated things and return to them and elaborate on them. But wisdom is kind of what tells us how to use it. So, you know, like I, I was talking to a client not too long ago that um, was a, was just going a million miles an hour. She was up for an award and she had to fill out all kind of paperwork. And she was, you know, a person who just didn't feel like she was even really worthy of this award. And she was trying to kind of pump up her credentials on the paperwork. And she felt bad about that. And she, <laughs> she was just going so fast in her mind, like, should I do this? Should I do that? And so I talked to her for a while and she quieted down. And when she got a little quieter, I said, you know, if you didn't have any thinking about your past and yourself and winning this award, and you just had to answer those questions because it was a questionnaire for some silly thing, how would you answer them? And she said, well, I would just put down the truth. You know, and I said, well, uh, what would stop you from just putting down the truth right now? And she said, well, um, you know, I don't, she said, I don't think that that's enough. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like I have to, somehow I have to, you know, without lying exactly, just make it look the way they want it to look. And I said, how do you know how they want it to look? I said, somebody nominated you for this award. That's why you're filling out the paperwork. So they must see you as you are. You haven't discussed your past with them or anything. And she said, no, they work with me. And I said, well, here's the problem. You're going into your head and going past, you know, like everything I know about people who win awards and everything I've ever thought about if I ever won an award, instead of just sitting quietly and asking yourself, what's a sincere answer to this question? And then just write that down. And she said, well, what if it isn't enough? And I said, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Somebody else will get the award. You know, so what? <laughs> You know? and, and anyway, it was really funny because it, she said to me, well, uh, you know, uh, what, if, what if my wisdom told me something I didn't like? And I thought that was a really profound question because it's a silly fear, but, but people have it. You know, like, what if I get some screwball answer? But the fact is, that's not, they call it wisdom for a reason. It's not, it's not going to give you screwball answers. Wisdom is a, is a surefire way that, that we have to connect to something deeper than our intellect, which is the source of creative thinking, of insight, of inspiration, of new ideas, of things we haven't thought of yet, of new ways to put together things we already know. So wisdom is a spiritual experience, whereas the intellect is a psychological experience. But the spirit in, the, in our psychology and our spirit work hand in glove to get us through life. And I think we have a colleague uh, who often says, you know, it, it always works out when wisdom is the master and the intellect is the servant. Because wisdom can tell the intellect things, but the intellect doesn't have a clue how to talk back to wisdom. And, uh, you know, think, I think that's a very simple way to put it. Yeah, it's... Um 
It's funny, isn't it? Because when you look towards your intellect, you see the complexities. Yeah. When you look toward your wisdom, you see the simplicity. That's right. But the simplicity, people say, it's too simple. It's too simple. Well, it's profound. It's so simple. And that's what the difference is. And I think one of the things that happened in psychology, I mean, originally, psychology is called the study of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, where did that get lost? Right? Yeah. Because uh, what happened is people couldn't get their mind around it. They couldn't get their intellect around it. And so they went to talk about something they could get their intellect around. And now we've created a monster from that because we have like 460 different approaches. If you're depressed, you can go to 460 different therapists and get a different treatment for it. Like um, that's the o- probably the only medical thing that you could have that, that that's true for because we've been able to move beyond the intellect and see think new things. But in so the, people ask us all the time, like why is the three principles taken so long to get out in the world? And to me, that's, this is the, the, the culprit is because the universities and um, places of a, a lot of thinking where people go to be great thinkers can't get their minds around it. So it doesn't fit in that kind of category. And, and as a result, the things that uh, we can codify and the things that we can uh, measure uh, become the, the way that the field focuses on kind of the, the after effect of, of thought rather than seeing that really the, that thought is a spiritual thing. And it's, it's something that's a gift to us. I mean, I, I think that's a great uh, way that Bill describes it, Dr. Pettit describes it as the as the servant to us rather than running us. And most people that come in there really suffering. That's what they'll say is, I mean, you know, people have said to me, no, my brain thinks, yeah. you know, and I have to say, you know, your brain doesn't think by itself. Right. It doesn't have a mind of its own. And people walk around like I've got these thoughts coming in that are coming from be- being beamed in from outer space or something, kind of know why people that get a little bit weird about thinking their thoughts are coming from aliens are orbiting the earth or something, but it's really just the way that thought works. And so it appears as if it's some greater intelligence coming through you. Now we do have that greater intelligence that comes through us, but we're so focused on our little pea brain and, and the thoughts that we have in it that we don't see that, there's a deeper intelligence that's spiritual, that's uh, simple, that really brings in a beautiful feeling of peacefulness or security or love into your life. It's, a, it's like awesome, that feeling of, oh, wow, look at that. As opposed to, I got the answer, I got the answer, I got the answer. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I used to um, have a well, for a long time in my life, I had an attorney that was also a very dear friend of mine who was an incredibly uh, deep person. He, he he would sit in meetings and not say a word for like a two-hour meeting. He would just sit there and not say a word. And people would forget he was even there. You know, like most of the times attorneys are asking questions and interfering and leaping into the fray. And he wouldn't say a word. And then the meeting would kind of wind down 
And he would say something that absolutely crystallized the entire like three hours of chit chat, discussion, argument, et cetera, where everybody went, oh yeah, that, that, that is the issue, isn't it? And I, and I asked him that years ago before I ever knew anything about the principles, I asked him one time, you know, I said, how did you ever develop the ability to do that? And he said, well, to be honest with you, if I don't know what to say, I don't say anything. <laughs> and that's kind of like how we, how we can misuse our intellect. We don't know what to say, so we, go, we, we start trying to figure it out. And what he was doing is just listening until he saw something. And then what he was really listening for, as we discovered later when we got involved in the principles that explained it to us, but it was still operating, you know, on its own is that uh, he would stay quiet when he didn't really know what to say until he did know what to say. And usually by the time he had heard everybody kind of wear out their arguments, you know, the, 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 the crux of it occurred to him. And people, I mean, he got paid a lot of money for that. He was an extremely highly regarded, you know, sought after attorney because everybody understood him. You know, he could go to court or he could go to a hearing or he could go before a judge and put a case so simply that the answer was obvious. And, you know, it was sort of funny when I, I learned the principles, I'd already been working with him for a number of years and I, and I talked to him about it and he said, well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> you know? and, and that's how you have to see it, that the principles are not telling you something that isn't known or isn't operating all the time. It's like the principles have always operated, you know, as the, as the energy behind the universe. But, you know, the, as, as we start to come to understand them, things that work make sense to us now. We know why they work and we know how to get there. We know that, we know that quieting your intellect and listening for wisdom is a way to access this constant wellspring of, uh, information that's always available to us. And we know that uh, the intellect is, is only a part of the picture. And we know that when we find ourselves, our minds racing and are churning around and feeling confused and feeling overwhelmed by our thinking, it's not because the bad thought fairy is attacking us. It's because we've just gotten caught up in going through the files and not finding it and getting more and more frustrated. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the deal with Consciousness, the principles, you know, it's like consciousness takes whatever we think and makes it look real to us. So when you're smart, you can actually put things together in a way that actually do work. So you go, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, like I, I got this figured out. And so we have this almost romance with our intellect because we're, we think that we're right. Like my husband told me once, he goes, you think you know everything. And I said, well, honey, it's kind of hard for me because I know so much. It's hard to tell when I'm not right. <laughs> you didn't think that was very funny. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that's kind of how we all are. I mean, everybody thinks they're right. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have a, a career as, a, as a, a relationship therapist, right? People get along because they'd understand, oh, they just don't, they just think differently than I do. It's a big deal. But, but because we have so much attached to our thinking, like I think, so the people that, that real like for me, I, I didn't think I was very smart. So it, it felt like I, I didn't have as much attachment to my thinking. Whereas people that are really smart and, and they do really well with their intellect, 
sometimes it's really hard for them. I have uh, a woman right now, she's been coming in to see me, but she really likes her thinking, right? You know, and so I would ask her to like, I often tell my clients that they should listen to Sydney Banks tapes on sydbanks.com, S-Y-D-B-A-N-K-S.com, in case you're interested. But she just hated them. And I was like, now tell me about this. Why, why do you hate them? And she said, well, I don't know. He seems very simplistic and, you know, he's got this dialect and um, he just doesn't seem to be talking to me. What doesn't seem relevant to me. I said, oh, okay. Well, um, why don't you just listen to it and then stop listening to what he's saying? She goes, what? I said, <laughs> just listen, just listen to what he's saying. Because what you're listening for is the feeling, not the words. But our intellect is like, oh, let's dissect this. Let's analyze this. Let's figure out how this applies in my life. Let's figure out if I agree with it or not. So you see all this thinking we're doing that gets in the way of us listening for a feeling because mental well-being is a feeling state. It has absolutely nothing to do with your intellect which is why babies who have a very small, their brain isn't even developed, they have very little stored in, them in memory, right. yet they're, they can be totally happy. Yeah. So if you, had, if you had to think your way to happiness, babies would cry all the time and we'd probably all go, wouldn't exist because none of us would make it through the early <laughs> years of having a child. Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You know, that's a beautiful point, though, Chris, because um, people are, are, people want, people long for peace of mind and happiness. You know, it comes down to it. If you ask somebody what at the core of life, what do you want? You know, that's what they want. They don't want a new Porsche. They don't want a different husband or wife. They want peace of mind and happiness. And we already have it. You don't have to get it. You don't have to think your way to it. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to be able to listen to your own wisdom and allow yourself to be guided towards this, a better state of mind and a deeper feeling of happiness because it is just a feeling. It's not the content. It's like I have uh, I had a client recently who said, well, I'm not going to be happy until I get the job I want. And she was having a hard time because she kept interviewing for jobs that she thought she wanted, but she didn't get the jobs. And I said, well, you feel a little uh, frantic to me about this. I said, how do, you, how do you present yourself in interviews? And she said, well, I try to, you know, I, I, I want to convince them. I read up on the companies and learn as much as I can about them. And I try to explain to them how I really like this company and all I know about it. And, and you could see, I mean, as a person who's employed a lot of people, I could see the, the HR person thinking, oh, my God, this person is going to be a giant pain, you know, because she was so uh, anxious and so caught up in thinking circles around herself, trying to persuade them to like her. And I said, well, why don't you just practice going in there and not, not know too much about it and ask about it? Just ask about it and then listen to what they say and respond. And she said, oh, I can't listen. I can't listen in those interviews because I have to be prepared. And, you know, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? And I really had to work with her quite a bit to get her to quiet down enough to have a moment 
where she had one of those experiences where something occurred to her. And she was like, oh, wow, where did that come from? And I, and I was doing it by pretending that she was applying for a job with me. You know, I said, let's, let's just talk about, you talk about the job and I'll talk about the company. And, you know, and we just made stuff up. But, you know, she finally got to the point where she quieted down enough she could see that. But that's such a such a gift when we recognize it. And with that, yeah, on that feeling, let's say it's a wrap. Okay. Well, bye-bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Aloha. Aloha. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 